This episode of that Star Trek podcast contains spoilers for Lower Decks, as well as some harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to That Star Trek Podcast. This is your place for detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. Now, on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of That Star Trek Podcast, your one-stop pod for reviews, examinations, and speculation of all things Trek. This is an important day. It is the season finale of Star Trek Lower Decks. We are going to discuss Season 4, Episode 10, Old Friends, New Planets, written by Mae Darman and directed by Bob Suarez. I'm rushing through that because I only now realize that I didn't pull a quote to use for my intro. Hopefully everyone else did. Who's everyone else? Well, let's go around the table and figure out who we have. Uh, Sitting next to me on the screen, we have the other Madison Tom Madison is with us once again. How are you? To deactivate detonation, please insert two bars of latinum. <laughs> Joining us as well, uh, we have the creator of superanemic.com, Nick Yeager. How are things? No can do, Madison, too. <laughs> and, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and joining us as well from the Quantum Leap podcast, we have Christopher DeFilippis himself. How are things going over there? I'm as happy as a milkman's cow. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, in, in his own way, rounding out the panel, we have joining us uh, via our Zoom chat. Uh, he will be piping in with his opinions throughout, and we will read off what he says verbatim. No paraphrasing for John Irons. So, uh, John, how are you? John has requested that I twain his responses. (laughs) 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 Fortunately, I'm just kidding. John's got nothing at the moment. All right. uh, There's more to that, Nick. More to wait in is required. <laughs> <laughs> John also said, sorry, y'all, but uh, apparently Neek didn't want to read that part. Correct. No paraphrasing rule. No paraphrasing. Also, I'm no gonna paraphrase. No paraphrasing, no omitting. <laughs> you had one job, says John. <laughs> All right, we're off to a giggly start. Um, this this was this is quite an episode. Um, uh, lots lots of stuff happening. So let's uh, quickly, as we always do, let's go around the table and get everyone's uh, uh, general thoughts. Uh, Chris, I want to start with you. Uh, overall, what did you think of the season finale? Uh, once again, lower deck sticks the landing on the last episode. Um, phenomenal episode of Star Trek 
as, as good as last season, season finale, cinematic. Um, the music was evocative of a certain Star Trek movie that everybody loves, um, almost too evocative to the point where I wish it just was that music instead of evocative of that music because it was a little distracting being evocative and not the music, but I digress. Um, fantastic episode of Lower Decks. I know I've been lukewarm on it this season and lukewarm on the series in general, but it can really, you know, do good things. And I think this was a great example of Lower Decks at its best. All right. Um, next up, uh, let's see what Tom has to say. Tom, how'd you feel about this episode? Oh, just about the same. It was incredible. Great episode. Loved it. Uh, I, I really love the homages and the evocativeness. All right. Um, uh, not sure if John is going to have a, a comment for us to read off, but while we wait, um, let's go with Neek. Neek, how'd you feel about this episode? Uh, I agree with Chris. I thought it was a, an excellent episode. John also agrees. He's glad that Chris liked it because he would have lost faith in humanity and his understanding of the universe if he hadn't because it was a fantastic episode. I mean, dude, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was like I, I said last week, I like when Lower Decks is legit Star Trek and this absolutely was. It, this could have been any series. Um, it it still had gags, like the twining, which was, I don't know. I've heard criticism that it, the episode was so serious and so Star Trek-esque that the gags were some a little bit out of place. But I didn't find so. I, I enjoyed them. I thought the, the little asides were cute and, you know, kept things lower decks. And then overall, it was an exciting, adventurous episode that still had a few character moments to keep people like me pleased. All right. I, um, on the whole, I agree with pretty much everything that all of you guys had to say. Um, Oh, and uh, Neek, John has a little more. Yeah, John says that the episode pulled the threads from the entire season and wove them together perfectly to sum up the season. And I agree with that as well. Uh, things like the uh, the twining on the holodeck um, and the uh, the Genesis device, uh, all things that were seen earlier in the season, and at the same time, I, they both took me a little bit by surprise that uh, something that that was shown to us earlier in the season, but not necessarily highlighted in such a way that you expect it to come back. And all of a sudden there it is. Um, the, the twaining on the holodeck, it seemed like a great device for that one plot. And it wasn't hugely important in this episode, but they used it as a, they, they set up a, a small conflict and they resolved it immediately using that gag, which was uh, essentially just a way to call back to the twinning from earlier in the season, which I thought was clever. The, the Genesis device, which was shown to us in a way that seemed almost like that this is just a gag. This is the Genesis device joke that we threw in here in a way that Lower Decks has done before with a lot of things. They'll, they'll make a reference that, that fans are going to recognize from something in the past and ha, that's funny. That's all there is to it. Move on. You're never going to hear from it from it again. But they they were clever. They snuck it on us because 
they set up that Genesis gag, which could have been just a, a one scene gag. And now it's like the, the, the MacGuffin of this final episode, which I was not expecting, but I, I liked it. I thought they used that to, to really good effect. Um, Chris, with what you said about the music, absolutely. That's very, uh, James Horner, wrath of Khan, uh, and using it in a nebula where they're recreating shots from wrath of Khan, like the top down view of the two ships on, on the different, uh, on different planes. And then of course the reuse of the Genesis effect at the end of the episode with the expanding rings fading yeah. into view. I just, the only thing missing was the ship going, they didn't have that sound effect, but uh, it was, yeah. it was almost exact. Um, when that score kicked in though, was that to me was pure lower decks. It was evocative of Khan, but it's, it really kicked in when they were towing the Orion battlecruiser towards yep. the Trinar shield. Absolutely. And all of a sudden the episode just came to life. It was a good episode before that. I don't know what you guys are on about. The twaining was the best scene in the episode. It was the funniest gag of the entire season if not the entire series. And I'm so happy they brought it back, but <laughs> just that they could put that in and the cinematic scope of it all um, towards the very end, really, it, it, it bowled me over. It was so good. Yeah. Um, also, I, I thought uh, the, uh, the animation and the special effects in this episode, particularly with the exterior shots and uh, uh, the chase skimming along the edge of the, of the shield uh, that was i thought those were fantastic visuals possibly possibly best of season with with the way they looked can i ask does it seem that it loses a little bit of cohesiveness because when we go outside of the ships it always seems a little bit more cgi and a little bit more photorealistic as opposed to you know the the ultra cartoon vibe inside the ships i it had well uh, let's Let's get other people's uh, reactions first. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> be be before me. Um, uh, Neek, Tom, how do you feel about uh, Chris's point? Yeah, I actually agree with Chris a little bit. I, I find the the CGI exterior stuff, it's, it's so much better than the, um, the interiors that it is like a little bit distracting, but it doesn't bother me. It doesn't take me out of it or anything. Uh, John thinks it's seamless enough. Uh, does anyone else want to respond to that before I read the rest of uh, John's comments? Um, re regarding interior shots versus exterior, um, I think, uh, t to me, the difference between the character animations and the ship animation is similar to the difference between live-action footage in any other Trek series and the exterior shots that they do. It yeah, they're different, but it's what I've come to expect from Star Trek. Outside is going to look way different from inside, and that's just the way it is. So it, it doesn't distract me because we're, we're used to that shift in visual style from real people to fake ships. Um, to switch gears... Um John wonders, Scott, uh, you complained earlier that you thought they should have added more of the mystery ship storyline to previous episodes. So now that you've seen the whole season, are you good with the way they paced it out? Or do you still wish they doled it out faster? I'm really happy that John asked this question because uh, this does speak to one of the, 
I, you could probably call it a criticism of this of this finale, and that is, yes, I I do still wish they had um, they had presented this particular story and the story around the mystery ship uh, a little differently throughout the season. Um, I felt that if there was one drawback to this season finale, it was that they crammed an hour's worth of story into a half hour episode. This thing flew by almost too fast. Um, the, the first note that I took down, and this is something that I think could have been remedied if they had, if they're not going to give us more elements of what this story was going to be as the season went on, then this could have been served by allowing this to be a double sized episode, make this an hour long episode. And they could have let a few things breathe a little bit more. Uh, for example, uh, we get the reveal at the end of last episode that Nick is the one uh, behind all the, all the ship attacks. And right away before the credits are even done rolling in this episode, we are shown that Nick, who was clever and capable enough to build this entire Nova fleet of, of cast off officers, but he is either dumb enough or crazy enough to assume that this junior grade Lieutenant that he kidnapped off of this planet, who he sort of knew a decade and a half ago is 100% on board with his plan and is going to back him up. Uh, when put on the spot, uh, to, to the entire quadrant. Is that the move of a crazy person? Yeah. But again, they didn't spend any time to show us how crazy he is or why he's just introduced. And here he is making the dumbest decisions that an antagonist could make. Oh, but he, he's read Mariner's record. And so he knows that she's a fuck up. And so, and he has interpreted not wrongly, all her insubordination as being against the brass and his whole thing is, you know, lower deckers should r rule things or at least be out on their own and, you know, screw the brass. Right. So he, he, I don't think it was crazy or out of left field for him to assume that Mariner would be on his side. And he's probably reading her record with, you know, uh, his own bias. So he's trying to he's kind of seen into that, what he wants to see. I mean, you do have to wonder, did, did he know that she was, like, right there with him? Or did he... I, I'm looking at the timing of him being able to study her record between picking her up off the ship, I mean, off the planet, you know? I think he's been studying her record for years. I think he's been brewing this thing for a long time, and he's been probably looking at a lot of people's records and seeing, like, who would be on my side? Hmm. I think he targeted her. And I would, in addition, suspect that uh, with them retconning that she was kind of sort of connected with their squadron at the Academy. She's the last person left that he can, that he can try to appeal to. Wes right. is obviously unreachable. Josh and Sido uh, are dead. And, there's no mention of Hajar, so we just assume that she's, you know, out of the picture in some way. So Mariner is all that's left. And everything that you guys say makes sense. Yet all of that stuff is squeezed into a very tight space. 
well, can present presented to us so quickly that it's it's almost hard to follow, and it. I'm. I I'm can pick you like that. But I feel like you're picking at the wrong thing here. Isn't mm -hmm. it kind of narratively convenient that Beckett's been backsliding this entire season like she always does, to Nick's point last week, and what I've said about the show since the beginning, she would have been drummed out of the fleet eons ago. She shouldn't yeah. even be there. But we have this season where she's got a, quote, death wish or whatever, and then we get this reveal towards the middle of the second to last episode where it's all about this one character from the episode Lower Decks of Next Gen from 25 years ago. And then all of a sudden, the entire denouement of the season hinges on this Red Squad. It's just like, well, that that was narratively convenient. I, I, I think that they... If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna take them to task for quote rushing it, take them to task for setting up an almost impossible framework for for this story to take place in, because it's just it's patently ludicrous that she would have known them, and this is what's on her mind, and all of a sudden it's revealed, and then all of a sudden it's Nick. Just go with it. Just mm -hmm. go with it. You know, yeah. it's it, it's fun. It, in the end, like I said, it was cinematic. You got to see uh, Robert Duncan McNeil. You got the great joke about the Tom Paris, and I don't see it, Scott. You called that one. It was in a different way, but you called it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are many. If you're going to start really looking closely, there are many flaws that that we can that we can pick apart on this one. Oh yeah, I I, I think if there's anything that was patently ridiculous about this, it's that in the time it took Beckett to grab the Genesis device, run to that other ship, and escape, the Cerritos was able to decide to do something, go all the way to Orion, barter by combat, get this battleship, get it back <laughs> to the Nova fleet. At towing speed. At towing speed. Do all of that stuff <laughs> in a foot chase. Good point, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Y'all are making me feel really silly for picking on what I pick on. <laughs> I don't think it's silly. I agree. I would have liked it to be a longer episode. But, I mean, John notes that, you know, it was a long episode because, you know, the, the previous one was to be continued. So this was a double-barreled episode. episode. Mm. Um, but, but I agree. I mean, I always want more from Lower Decks. Like, yeah, it would have been nicer to have a bit more room to breathe and I would have liked to see more of the flashbacks to the Academy, but that's probably me just, you know, really enjoying seeing Boothby again. I don't know. You know, it's <laughs> just, I, I think, I yeah, think we saw his back there. and his hat. Yeah. yeah, he was in the background. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just fan service. Well, but speaking of fan service, it was, it was fun that uh, Will Wheaton was there and the, uh, they even dug up the actress who did Cito, uh, even though apparently she hasn't acted in like 20 years or something. So, well done. Dug up. No, they dug up whoever played Josh. Because <laughs> Josh was dead. <laughs> he, he, he never even got a face in, in uh, the first. Didn't movie. he? They didn't have a, like a photo of him or something? No, we never saw him. Interesting. We only saw his dad. All right. Uh, what else have I written down? Little, uh, oh, <clears throat> John is John a little bit. He has more that he wanted said. 
Uh, do you want me to go back and read all your stuff, John? He's he's got a note about the interior exterior shots. Yeah. Um, oh, it's, he watches more animation than any of the rest of us probably. So for him, like that the the difference between the interiors and the exteriors that's like no big deal to him. He's used to it. Um, already gave his point about the uh, double sized episode. Uh, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> We've already covered that. He thinks that Mariner is always thinking about Cito and she was traumatized by it. But we're now just and, learning about it. Yeah. Well, we're, we're learning yeah. That, that that's what's behind her self-sabotaging behavior. This season. <laughs> well, I guess they're saying that's what it was about always. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Probably all seasons, but we just... I just look forward to see how that. they backslide next season, that's all. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that one. It's like, I feel like they've oscillated with her too many times that it's like crying wolf at this point. So if they, I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, drag her back again next season, if we get a next season. But perhaps since they're not sure if they're going to get another season, they're... Uh, we, we know there's there's one more coming. They they know they have a season there's, five. Okay, okay, they, good. They don't know if they have a season six, but they know there's five. Uh, John thinks that she's been consistent, or he sees they've been consistent, so I guess he means the writers. Uh, but he would be annoyed if she backslides, yeah. I think, I mean, I think we're all over that. Like, enough. Enough with Mariner being petulant and being a shitty officer, because we know she's competent. Yeah. I, I think there's... There, there are plenty of ways for her to be, like, a little irreverent, a little brash, but still managing to be a good officer, whereas she's been a poor officer and uh, yeah, that's all I got. I don't know where the rest yeah. of my words went, but they decided to go away. <laughs> John suggests that she needs a Deanna Troy, and I, and I guess Miglimo is not good enough for for, uh, for anyone, really. <laughs> food references. Uh, he's uh, apparently good enough for uh, a barter by combat. What did everyone think of that? Uh, well, that except he wasn't scene? good enough. In the end, he, he did set off her allergies, as Tendi had hoped, but he well, still got I, crushed. So. Yeah. He didn't he, you know to move, to sidestep. Yeah, just yeah. Sidestep a little bit. He's, he's not good at anything, that guy. He, he was good enough at dodging when he had no idea why he had been selected, which made me wonder, uh, Tendi, you couldn't have maybe told him before he got yeah, in seriously. he's got bad allergies so you know really yeah. get your feathers moving but she's going to wait until he has narrowly avoided death three times before she starts <laughs> giving him the tip that will actually let him survive well john thinks it was a clever plan with a twist and then that uh that then twisted again because it failed genius writing i don't know if he's being sarcastic or not <laughs> i hope so i mean <laughs> Genius? No, he he, he loved it. <laughs> I mean, he just I threw up his hands and I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, that is one of those things that they're able to get away with it because it is a cartoon. Mind you, there have been plenty of dumb things in the live actions, but that's a discussion for another day. Mm-hmm. I just I feel like Miggly Moo is just like the most useless character, even more useless than the cat doctor. So. 
it's another character that kind of takes me out of it where you're really hooked into the fact that this is a cartoon cartoon, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's just so anthropomorphized. I, I'd like to see like a live version of Miggly Moo just to give me some kind of context in my head <laughs> where I can justify what I'm seeing on screen as part of any kind of reality. <laughs> Yeah, I don't disagree. I, he's a bit over the top for me as well. But hmm. yeah, I, I guess the it's like the, the aliens that are truly, really alien are interesting. And the aliens that are basically just humans with shit on their faces, like hmm. those are easy to, I was going to say to swallow, but you'll mock that phrasing. Um, <laughs> Never. But but I, I agree. It's like those in between aliens where they're humanoid, but they're like, but it's a bird, but it's a cat. That just feels silly to me. And so even in the live action, those ones are a bit like, <laughs> no. So he's saying my phrasing is fine because Dave isn't here and Rick isn't here, but Chris is here. Yeah, but I'm I'm drinking coffee tonight. <laughs> <laughs> But he thinks that, I guess you're referring to the the fight, John, that it's the sort of thing that absolutely would have worked on a live action Trek and Lower Decks took the piss out of it. So, yeah, sure. Yeah, we've seen a lot of great fight scenes on Trek. Yeah. I mean, starting with a muck time on and, uh, you know, Worf in the, uh, in the Changeling Detention Center and... I'm trying to think of any kind of fight scenes from well, next we've gen. Seen, yeah, well, in TOS, there was, oh, my God, I, I can't remember the names of the episodes, but they've had that very much, like, that gladiator style. Yeah, I'm up time, and you're thinking four, of so. uh, the, the gamesters of Triskelion. Yeah. With Angelique Pettyjohn and uh, her big potato bikini. Um, <laughs> that's that's what was missing. They, they should put Miggly Moo in that, in that outfit. That would have been perfect. <laughs> I would pay good plot lose to see that. That would have been funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I I took down in my notes uh, uh, some examples of some nice little small things that I enjoyed in the episode, um, like either Easter eggs or just quick little quips. Uh, I did enjoy the return of Livic, not just for the twaining scene, but um, – with their, their bickering back and forth as they're trying to fix the Orion ship, and then at the end of the episode, Livic. We've seen yeah, that like, character before? Yes. And oh, so, okay. so, and so John noted that um, the twaining in this episode worked, or rather the, the twaining in its first episode where it was introduced works retroactively because they call back to it here. And so I feel the same way about, did you say his name is Linick or whatever? Livic. Like, Livic. He was a bit random when he was introduced, but now having him play a part in this one, now we understand why he was introduced in the first place. Because it was a bit throwaway the first time. And now it's like, oh, okay. So it's just like various things throughout the season have been working up to this episode. Yeah. It, it really helps to, uh, even if it's like on a surface referential level, it still ties the season together in in a fun way. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the brief scene that we got with captain Boimler. Mm. I thought I, n not only is it a, a nice moment for the character to, you know, step up and actually, you know, not fuck things up. Uh, but it was also a night, a nice, uh, performance by Jack Quaid in giving Brad a 
a somewhat different voice. He he sounds like himself, but his captain voice is noticeably different. I thought it was a, a very nice touch performance-wise. Can I make a deeper observation about that? Yes. This is what Boimler would be without Beckett. This is who he is, uh, as witnessed by his transporter clone excelling on the Titan. As witnessed, I, we've never really gone back to this anyway. I don't know if you guys have, but do you remember when they were doing that test day and he got stuck in that simulation where he had to rescue people from the Borg cube like a hundred yeah. times and he eventually got like a hundred percent with the babies on his back and he had shit in his teeth and he was just like badass Boimler. That's who he has the potential to be. But he's stuck with this misfit that just holds him back at every turn. So I, I feel like we're seeing Boimler who, you know, as as he should be with this confidence and with this training. And, you know, he just seems to be quintessential Starfleet, but he just happens to be best friends with somebody who isn't. So he's kind of in this limbo where he wants to be by the book regulation guy. But she's a tempering influence on that, sometimes in a good way. But I, we can also see maybe sometimes in, in a negative way. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that can probably be viewed uh, you know, from, from different angles. I, I absolutely agree that there are lots of ways that, that Beckett might be you know, holding him back. But we also can't ignore the fact that um, the the lessons that he is picking up from her and the ways in which she is rubbing off on him a little bit um, could and will serve him well as he as he rises through the ranks in time. John thinks there's uh, some truth to what you're saying, but he thinks they all the characters have evolved this season. Um, he stood up to characters this season that he never would have before, including Mariner. She also pushes him and encourages him to take risks he wouldn't take on his own. Fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's a realistic relationship, right? Because we, we all have people like that in our lives. I Probably everybody is like that for everybody else, where in some ways they bring out good things in us, and in some ways they bring out bad things. And that's just what it is to be a person. Yeah, maybe I'm reading too deeply into a cartoon, but it's just just what I see. There's, I don't think there's any such thing as digging too deeply into anything. If it is fun for Freezing. you and interesting for you to to dig deeply, do it. Dig deep. Go deep. I can't help it. I'm cursed with this mind, Nick. It's just I, I often don't have a choice. You very much do have a choice, Chris. <laughs> Uh, Tom, do you got anything that you want to um, add in about uh, Brad and his uh, evolution or the evolution of everyone else? I've never really considered the about Mariner holding him back. I mean, the whole the surface level premise, you know, again, that not digging too deep um, was that, you know, she was trying to pull him out of his shell. But yeah, now looking back, it, you know, she was pulling him out, but not towards you know, being real productive, but just to kind of get out of that, um, you know, work-life imbalance where he's just all about being that perfect Starfleet officer. 
who's trying to get them to have a little fun and and realize uh, it's not always about following the regulations. Life isn't all about Starfleet. Yeah. Or, I mean, look, I think it was the very first episode where she's going and helping the, the people on that planet uh, against regulations. Wow, yeah, that's a deep pull. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, that was the first episode. All right, another thing that I noticed that I thought was interesting, we've seen, um, uh, well, actually, before I get into this, uh, Neek, John has something to say. Yeah, so he's saying that good art should be interpreted more deeply and have the capacity to be parsed for subtext. And for him, this is the first season he's wanted to rewatch after seeing it. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And I, I find that I'm... <laughs> I'm not going to read that. Carry on, Scott. <laughs> Just trying to make room for John. Yeah, um, I, I don't, I don't often find myself going back and rewatching a whole lot these days because there's so much I'm trying to catch up on. But um, I, I see where John is coming from as far as this season being, this season's rewatchability. Uh, another small detail that I noticed, especially since uh, seatbelts and starships is uh, a long-running joke for, for Star Trek, the Genesis device gets a seatbelt and no one else does? So I guess seatbelts, um, they exist and no one wears them because they're too cool. <laughs> Just the, the same way... Those of us who are cool, we just don't wear helmets when we're riding our bikes. We know we should, but we grew up in the 80s. We just don't yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, are we talking about the the like expandable matter seat belts that just creep over your shoulders that we saw in the 2009, in, in the Kelvin trilogy of movies? No, nothing, in, nothing in Kelvin is canon. <laughs> uh, it was referenced in Discovery. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm just saying, like, uh, like, fuck off with Calvin, whatever. John makes some good jokes. He says that seatbelts, uh, by the way, I'm up. You're fired, Nick. I have to read now. Um, he says, uh, seatbelts, it's not the law anymore. And Sulu texts while piloting. So there's not a lot to hit in Sulu's defense out, out in space. <laughs> it's a lot of empty. <laughs> and yet... <laughs> consoles are exploding all the time. I mean, that's why they don't buckle in because you want maybe people they... to jump away from that console at any moment. And the rocks. Yeah. I was going to say, maybe the consoles wouldn't explode if they weren't filled with debris and gravel. But that's the way they're built. Yeah, yeah. No, so otherwise, they wouldn't work. No, no. So much rocks. It's so a, much they're rocks. very conductive to whatever plasma, whatever. So. <laughs> and, uh, all right, something... Something else I noticed in this episode, and Neek, I'm wondering if you, uh, uh, I, I'm wondering if you picked up on this as well. Uh, Nick refers to his Nova Fleet <laughs> as a coalition of equals, yet he is clearly, from the jump, the one in charge. He thinks that he's in charge, and he's constantly and immediately giving orders to all the other people in the fleet who aren't supposed to be answering to him. 
Nick is Nova Fleet Helios in the 21st yes, century. And, and Nick is Dev Ayesa. Yeah. 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 So he's that he's that leader who tells all his underlings that no, I'm just like you guys. There are no offices here. There are no walls. There are no cubicles. We're all together. Now do what I say, <laughs> not what I do. <laughs> For anybody that doesn't listen, that is a Moonshow reference uh, for all mankind. Moonshow. Everybody should be listening to Moonshow. If you haven't, I don't know why you're not. John made a great joke before it becomes irrelevant and out of context. Sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable indistinguishable from geology. I knew I'd get that. (laughs) (laughs) Good one, John. Uh, I I also liked the... uh... Uh, that the the little touch at the end as Nick is trying to disarm the Genesis device and it hits him with a paywall. He has to pay two bars of latinum. Not not a cheap thing, by the way. That's an expensive off switch. Two bars of latinum to disarm the bomb. I I thought that was a nice touch. It was very Ferengi. We also got a new rule of acquisition. Since last time we checked or last time we were told about the rules of acquisition, there were 285. Um, in my interview with Armin Shimmerman, I got him to create rule number 286, which was uh, subscribe and listen to Cosmic Potato, the Super <laughs> Fan Talk podcast. <laughs> and now we have rule 289, shoot first, count profits later. Just it, It's adding to canon. The Ferengi are still uh, expanding the rules. Excuse me. That's Nog's progressive leadership speaking right there. <laughs> you mean Rom? Oh, yeah, Nog's dead. Nog's in, not Well, in, in, in the, in the uh, fantasy eighth season, he would have been killed, right? From, yes. Uh, yeah, so. That, that fantasy eighth <laughs> season That's didn't happen. Not- Nog could be still alive. And Rom oh. is the Grand Negus. Thank you. I'm sorry. I stand yeah. corrected, Neek. Neek, I'm um, actually me. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, um, guys. I'll turn in my Star Trek card. <laughs> you won't hear from me again. Oh, don't worry. You never had one. <laughs> oh, that's such a that's such a loaded statement. You're just trying to pick a fight now, aren't you? <laughs> You evil, evil person. I shall rise above. <laughs> John even says, damn. <laughs> anyway. All right. I'm going to uh, pose a quick. Uh, Wait. Well, hold on, Scott. You were talking about some more of the Easter egg. Yeah. Did we see um, that last member of Nova Squadron, uh, Hajar? One, it, it kind of bugged me that she wasn't there while, you know, the whole group, they're talking about this thing. Why didn't they just, I mean, even if she didn't have any lines, why wasn't she in that scene? Yeah, like, why not just animate her? That confused me as well. Yeah, same. But in the scene, in the wide shot before that, they did have someone run away from the group, like, run and, and wave goodbye. Oh, okay. I suppose that, but I guess that might make a little more sense in having her her animated there and not have any lines when everyone else was talking. 
Yeah, they had to pay too much to Will Wheaton to make his cameo, so they didn't have money for any extras. They couldn't even draw them in. <laughs> With his squeaky voice, too. So. Yeah, yeah, Will Wheaton pretending to be young Will Wheaton. No, I it, thought he did a good job. <laughs> I thought he did fine. I thought he, he did he, just fine. He did do a nice job, but he was absolutely ready room Will Wheaton and not <laughs> next generation Will Wheaton. I think ready room Will Wheaton is Will Wheaton. Yes. I think that's yeah. just how he sounds. I think he's just, I will we die. <laughs> I got nothing against the guy. Yeah, n- neither do I. I, <laughs> I. I think he's great. But um, yeah, he was definitely leaning into the fact that, hey, I'm voicing an animated character. Yeah, but you know what? Or rather, it, it, I'm voicing an animated character. It more suits his acting style, I think. I He did not take me out of it in this. He sounded like Wes, whereas in the season finale of the season two Picard episode where he shows up as one of the Guardians of the Travelers or Gary Seven or whatever, he completely took me out of it because he was Ready Room Will Wheaton in that. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, John writes, way back after episode two or three, I had a theory that the mystery ship was actually targeting Lower Decks officers since that's what they showed, but I never said it on the show, so I won't claim that I officially called it. John, I will say that you officially called it. Consider it called. Retroactively called. Uh, a A few other Easter eggs, or do we want to do that at the end? Um, uh, go, go ahead and do them now. I have um, uh, two theoreticals that I want to put out to you guys that might uh, have to do with next season. So okay. go ahead and get these Easter eggs first. Uh, the ice rings that she was flying through looked suspiciously like the intro to Voyager that Mariner was flying through uh, to avoid the rest of Nova fleet. I, I thought it was a nice homage to that. Um, oh, that oh yeah. Graphic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I can see that. Right at the end, at the explosion of the Genesis device, you had that Hobart uh, starburst again uh, in the center of it. That was a real nice touch. Mm-hmm. We talked about the um, next gen, or I mean, the uh, Rathacon for the whole ending scene uh, with the music and the. Uh, Nebula, that sort of stuff. And I've never noticed this one before, but the bar, their pen forward that they have on the Cerritos, on the wall, it's got the Starfleet Delta with olives sticking out of it. Yeah, that's been there since the beginning. I've noticed that now. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Um, I added to our group chat, but for anyone else, if you go through screen cap uh, during the scene on uh, Orion, the uh, barter by combat. They've got Scott as an Orion. So it, I mean, it's spitting image there. So oh, Montgomery shit. Scott or Scott Madison? Scott uh, Madison. He, he's talking about me. <laughs> I mean, I wish I had arms like that, but <laughs> yeah. Did you win a contest, Scott? <laughs> Or did you lose a contest? I wish. See, the Lower Decks writers are listening. I mean, they're, we know that they're reading uh, Super Anemic. So it's just <laughs> you know, a hop, skip, and a jump over to their listeners. 
There we go. And uh, as far as Easter eggs go, John says it's nice to see Gucci on the ship. I yes. have a question about that because I didn't see any um, discernible hollow emitter clipped to anywhere. So is is the whole entire ship a holographic, like a holographic uh, generator now? Like, I mean, why wouldn't it be? Yeah, these these days you might as well say that it is. I mean, if Voyager came back from the Delta Quadrant and said, "Oh yeah, by the way, we." We retrofit the entire ship to have hollow emitters, so holograms can walk freely on every deck. Yeah, we're going to incorporate that into. Did that ever happen on Voyager? Design. The Doctor always had his mobile emitter. Yeah, no, that didn't happen on Voyager. Oh, that's but right. What Scott and I are yeah. saying is, you know, maybe Voyager comes back and is like, you know what? Let's make hollow emitters, and let's also just go ahead and, and make all ships have hollow emitters in more areas. And Wait, then that know. doesn't stick around because <laughs> by the time we get to Picard, they need to think about their impending doom by going to the holodeck made to look like the Earth 10 forward rather than just going <laughs> to their own 10 forward or mess hall where they would probably be more comfortable. So I guess they don't have hollow emitters everywhere. But maybe the Cerritos has a hollow emitter in that particular cargo bay because they know Gucci is going to work there. Gotcha. Because Rutherford a- probably put it in. But however, as far as... <laughs> that was a very long way to say because reasons. <laughs> yeah. But Dory, let's not forget. Let's not forget. While, while you are correct, Voyager had the, the mobile emitter to mm. let the doctor go everywhere. Earlier this season, when we saw Voyager... It had hollow emitters installed throughout the entire ship. Well, that's because it was for, being for turned into a museum. Right. And John points out that uh, Rios had hollow emitters everywhere on the La Serena. Uh, so it is an option. Um, but isn't that like something like 20 years in the future from from this point in the, the Trek timeline? He's shrugging like it doesn't yeah. make a difference. But, uh, that, that's when it's set. <laughs> but who knows how I, it's not like. Rios said, "Yeah, I had these brand new hollow emitters installed. We've never seen this before, but it's you know what? No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna back up on this now. Now we're in speculation land. Starfleet would never put hollow emitters everywhere because every other episode, the holodeck fucks up and takes over the ship. So if it could just take over the ship outside of the holodeck, anywhere on the ship, why would they have holodecks at all if they fuck up that often and always take over the ship?" They had to put hollow emitters all over the ship for ADA compliance. I go. mean, it's, you've got it's hollow OSHA, OSHA regulations. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what they should have? They should have the holodecks with the ability to eject them like the warp core, and then everything would be fine. <laughs> well, except half the holodeck problems are that they can't get off the holodeck. So, I mean, you're just jettisoning. <laughs> yeah, you take your chances on the holodecks. You know? Yeah. Sorry, Enter Tom. at your own risk. You want to everyone, play Robin Hood? Hey, that dents the brakes. Everyone signs a waiver upon entering the holodeck. In the event of massive holodeck malfunction, you will be ejected with the holodeck. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, was it Chris? Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, John writes, so Starfleet is learning from experience now. And he says, Guji is a life form now. So Tom joked about ADA compliance, but it's kind of true. <laughs> so. The Aliens with Disabilities Act? Yeah, I was going to yeah. say. <laughs> the, 
yeah, I, I, I don't have anything better than that. <laughs> All right, were any other Easter eggs that people noticed this episode that they want to that they want to add in? Um, I don't know if it was an Easter egg, but can someone um, tell me the Starfleet ship that Beckett stole at, at the midpoint and what it was called? I, I kept trying to see it and I couldn't see it, and I've never seen that kind of ship. I, it, I'm trying to figure out what it was. It was a USS Pizarro, and it is a, a Saber Runner class. Oh, all right. I I don't know if it's been seen before. It's kind of a mashup between two other ships that have been seen. Um, I only know them from a Star Trek game I'm, I've been playing recently, but it's a 20-year-old game, so... Does it have um, four numbers or five numbers in its NCC registry? This one has five. So it can't be that old. She called it like an old bucket of bolts. For me, five, five numbers in your registry is just like, wow, that's that's a shiny new ship. Anyway, yeah. I digress. Um, I, I was kind of hoping that it would be a recognizable ship, but it, you know, it, it, it's fine. It makes me wonder um, if... If they named it after a particular person, like is there? It is they, named, they they named after a, a digital artist. Okay, who was big with uh, Eagle Moss collections? All right, that makes sense. Wow. All right, so a couple theoreticals to to maybe do a little bit of mm. uh, anticipation for uh, and speculation for next season. Uh, when Freeman is uh, on subspace with that admiral who was kind of yelling at her a little bit for disobeying orders, but then, of course, saying, but you know what, it's fine because Starfleet's not in trouble, so I guess you're not in trouble either. And at the end of that conversation, he says there's one last piece of business regarding your lieutenant. Now, yeah, he's an, talking about Tendi. It's an easy assumption to make that he's talking about Tendi and how she's going to have to and how she's going back to Orion. But it's not specified. And remember, all of our main characters are all lieutenants. He could have been talking about Mariner, could have been talking about Boimler, probably talking about Tendi. But does anyone think that he might have been referring to someone else? Because it wouldn't necessarily be a Starfleet issue that he has to talk to Freeman about with Tendi going back to Orion. It's it's that was her well, I, her choice. The way I read it is that it was a misdirect, and we were meant to assume he's talking about Mariner, but then it turns out he's talking about Tendi because the writers are sort of banking on everyone having forgotten about Tendi having to go back to Orion, mm. and so then when they interrupt their celebration to say, oh, you know, you're out of here, Tendi, then we're meant to be sad. Hmm. John writes, I, I assumed he was talking about Beckett before the Tendi scene. I also assumed they were talking about Beckett. Scott, I'm, I'm, that's, that's as good a speculation as any other. I mean, hmm. he might have been talking about one of the other Lord Deckers. He might have been talking about Brad. He might have been impressed with his captaining so to speak, and maybe they want him to do more stuff. Maybe they want Brad to infiltrate Section 31 because they figured out that uh, Thomas Boiler Boimler <laughs> was there, or William Boimler was there. I don't know. but Yeah, so I I did wonder, I, not while watching it, I thought the same thing here, that first it was uh, Beckett, then it was Tendi, um, but then did wonder if it's a reference to the Section 31 and that they're going to 
they're introducing that that plot point sneakily for next season. Um, but I'm gonna go with my own rampant speculation. Uh, right at the end, Kendi beams over to the Orion ship. He says, "You know, all right, I got this." And then just the the animated look on her face and, and the foreboding music. Almost first, I thought Kendi had this plan. Somehow she had worked everything in sequence to get on this Orion ship for some nefarious purpose. Well, now with this discussion in the Admiral's comment, I'm wondering is, are they trying to set her up, you know, to do something? Um, like, is she there hmm. as a Starfleet operative? And that, Ooh. I mean, that would kind of combine that speculation of mine and what we're seeing in the show. Uh, that is, that's a great speculation. I love that. Yeah, I, I love that. That'd be great. Yeah, that look on Tendi's face uh, was the second thing I was going to bring up as far as speculation. Because the way she said, you've got this, and that determined look as she's walking toward the camera. And as I wrote, all kind of looked like she had a plan, perhaps did this on purpose. And so I, Tom was right there with me on that one. But even I didn't Gary. think, even I didn't think that it was, that it might have been, if that's the case, that it might have been tied into what the Admiral was saying. And uh, DS9 did set the precedent that uh, Starfleet will recruit uh, non-security officers to go on undercover intelligence missions to Orion. Because they had O'Brien do the same thing, because O'Brien must suffer. <laughs> yep. So, <laughs> I love yeah, if, when Picard gets mind fucked, he gets a family and he can play the flute. When O'Brien gets mind fucked, he gets PTSD. And he murdered somebody <laughs> in jail. Well, <laughs> that O'Brien also oh, gets on, you're back now. Life. But O'Brien's back and he gets to go back to Keiko, who hates him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Nick. I stepped on what you said. <laughs> Oh, she's not going to repeat it. Nope. Oh, yeah. She's, she's We're done gonna with separate that. It. We're going to separate the tracks. <laughs> we don't have tracks, Chris. It's all one. <laughs> we are one. And uh, John writes, they want Livic for command. Apropos of no. Livic. Livic. That'd be fun. That, that'd be interesting if just next season, if um, if, if Paul Shear is, I don't know, he, he's too busy with uh recording how did this get made so he can't come and do lower decks they'll just promote livic and he'll be the new head of engineering <laughs> john says the joke was moderately funny five minutes ago so i'm sorry we <laughs> lost the context brother uh, but to, to your point, you gotta Tom, stay on the ball yeah yeah <laughs> phrasing um i think that uh you have a great idea there tom and if it's one character that's grown on me more than any other in lower decks it's probably tendy i really couldn't stand the character for the first few seasons she seemed like and i've never seen my little pony but just some bullshit my little pony character like just always optimistic and just like just so twee and now i feel like i guess maybe it's the winter constellations thing and they're they're rounding her out i feel like you know beckett has the cunning to do something undercover but she doesn't have the stick to itiveness to play a long game Tendi has the <laughs> John writes, fuck you, my little pony is masterful. I deserve it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Friendship is magic. <laughs> but uh I feel like that if there is somebody that 
could be suited to do something clandestine like that. Um, Tendi is the, you know, she was the dark horse for it, but now she seems to be the only logical choice because she has the intelligence. She has sort of the badass background that she can call on when she needs it. And I think that, you know, she can be a real asset because she can sneak into the radar because she can be that bubbly friendship is magic, masterful My Little Pony character. And at the same time, under the surface, she's the mistress of the goddamn Winter Constellations. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, John Wright, she's clearly capable. capable of living a dual life, as has been seen. So. As she has been. Yeah, as she has been. I'm, you're fired. That, that was you paraphrasing, Chris. <laughs> <God damn it. laughs> All right, so I, yeah, the, I thought those were going to be two pretty thin observations to try to pull some speculation from but man tom pulling it together in it, it most likely the best speculation of of this season of the podcast i and see now i'm going to be 100 expecting that i'm going to be 100 expecting that tendy is on an undercover mission i don't yeah, know yeah we'll be disappointed if i was going to say <laughs> Thanks for well, letting us down in advance, Tom. <laughs> our, our own headcanon, then, when it doesn't happen, it's going to be since we've established that the writers are listeners, um, they heard that, dang, now we got to change the whole thing. They figured it out already. Right, we're going to have to pay this bastard. Now we're, we're going to have to pull, we're going to have to pull another Spock is dead fake out. If we have to pay Tom, we can't get Will back for a cameo. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, how did you feel about them killing uh, Nick Ricardo? Yeah. No one cares. Okay. <laughs> it, it it seemed it seemed the logical conclusion for the the story that they built in these last last two episodes. So and and at at the, at the same time, considering the the troubled history that that character has had as far as they wanted to bring the character back for Voyager, but be, they, they couldn't, or they, they decided not to because of the rights. Um, I never it's, thought that, but anyway, well, okay. Interrupting. Um, that was the big story is that they didn't want to pay for using his name and the, the right. The other story I've read recently is that, uh, people considered Nicola Carno to be an irredeemable character because of his actions in that episode. And so while they still wanted to have that, that character type, and they recreated, you know, or made Tom Paris with the same actor, you know, they liked the actor, they liked the type and the, the, the tragic backstory. They wanted someone who was going to be, uh, more, um, you know, who had that ability to be redeemed. So I see. Case, I, I buy that more. That makes more sense to me. So it, it's kind of a you know, what was the official line and what was the real uh, reason for it mm. is the stuff I was reading on it. Yeah, and you guys speculated about this last week, and um, one of you brought up an excellent point. When you write for Star Trek, Star Trek owns it all. So I never understood like the the supposition that oh we will have to pay this writer residuals for a character they created for a script that they wrote that we commissioned. It's our yeah, script. It's our character. That always, our that always seemed like bullshit to me. So I, I, I think Yeah, Tom and boy how things have changed because look at freaking Giorgio. Now they have the most irredeemable yeah, don't get me started. Uh, no, I, I 
I'm amazed how much I'm agreeing with you, Chris, on this one, because usually I think you're full of shit, but everything you're saying is gold this time around. I, I agree. I, I, I'm livid that they redeemed Georgiou, like a literal cannibal Nazi. Like, yeah, God. yeah. <laughs> um, just before we lose the joke, because it was moderately funny two minutes ago, um, re Nick Licorno's death, John writes, well, he became a nebula or whatever, so it's fine. <laughs> I think they need a planet after him, so. Sure, but it, it always bugs me when they kill characters and when they don't need to. I mean, they never need to, but like, I, I there's too much death in Star Trek, I feel. <laughs> it was a very Starfleet that Locarno had multiple chances to surrender and refused. It was a very Disney villain death. He basically killed himself. Yes, and that's what makes me dislike it, that it was so Disney. Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I don't have the Disney vernacular, so I'll take you guys' word on it. Well, it's just like when they, they basically kill themselves by their own evil actions. Yeah, Listed because their own Pizzard. Yeah, because the, the hero can't end the villain. That would exactly. make them not a hero. So the villain right. has to do something that... that uh, Yeah, good guys uh, don't does kill bad that's what that's what John writes. Good guys don't kill yeah. bad guys, and yeah, your your evil deeds will bring about your own end. Um, beware your passions, Doctor. They will be your undoing. John writes. They just choose evil over redemption and die as a result. So yeah, that was a little bit yeah. pat. Uh, but I, John also makes a good point. And now it's it's Planet Locarno, so he's fine. And they're going to be refugees on it one day, maybe. What I want to know is, number one, how did the Genesis technology ever get out of Starfleet's, like, highest classification, like, of, of just classified documents? I mean, you are talking about a planet-killing device to make it like a gag. Oh, the Ferengi Genesis device. is That kind of takes me out of it a little bit. Well, and, remember, uh, the Klingons had... Uh, got the briefing information so they got the briefing but they didn't get the formula and how is this a stable planet when david used protomatter in the matrix because it was the only answer to some problems well that was like, like your father you cheated uh, so or is this like a new build is this like quantum leap 2022 where it's the, just a whole new operating system they've had literally a century to to get it right so yeah they probably John, found a way around the protomatter John writes that Picard has a summer home on Locarno now, <laughs> even though he's got a freaking vineyard in the south of France. And uh, he writes it was a black market version. Someone stole the blueprints. So, yeah, probably. And, and the Ferengi bought them. Yes. Yeah, God. that that I would believe. If someone's going to steal the plans for a Genesis device and and turn it into an industry, it would be the Ferengi. All right. Anybody else have any comments, any speculations for next season? Do we think that um, Talin is going to, like, become the new Tendi on the Cerritos while, while she's off on, on her mission that is absolutely, definitely going to be happening? In, in what way? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> John, John and Tom had the same exact thought at the same time. I thought that uh, I thought that Tom was reading for me. Uh, in the way that I, this season, uh, Talin has been uh, 
Uh, she's been part of the group, but she's still been a supporting character alongside our main characters. Do we think that she is going to be given like main character level focus in season five with Tendi off ship? I think she will. I think they put her there specifically to fill the Tendi void that we probably can expect for at least the first two episodes, I'm thinking. If not something even more sweeping for the final season, potential final season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I saw it very early in the season that Talina was going to stay there. You know, she was making her connections with the crew and she's going to stay with the Doritos. She'd have the opportunity to go back and wouldn't take it. So, um, I was afraid that you were going to think of Talyn as being the bubbly tendy that, uh, you know, My Little Pony one. But no, that, that's why I was asking. That'd be scary. No, I, I'm right. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. John writes they are very different characters and I don't see her being more tendy like I think she'll I don't think she'll replace her per se but I do think she'll be a full-fledged part of the team yeah exactly yeah and that's what I was anticipating as well for speculation for next season I think we've got uh, Tendy working on the Orions they've got to be going back to that uh, section 31 storyline it was an end of the, was it like very end of the season or just an end of an episode uh, bit showing Boy- the Thomas I'd, Boimler? I think that was the end of last season, wasn't it? Wasn't it the very last scene when they recruited I, him? No, I think the last scene of last season was Rutherford's original implant being uh, salvaged. Oh, okay. All right. But they with, did. With but, badging so, on it. To Tom's point, they did have that scene where they recruited uh, Transporter Clone Boimler into Section 31. So they might follow up on that. Yeah. What I'd love to I, see. I've forgotten that scene, so I can't remember if it was like an episode stinger or if it happened at the end of it would have had to be season two. You know what? It I, was I probably it was probably the episode where they were doing all the side quests on the holodeck and he discovered that his Transporter Clone yes. had been, quote, killed in duty, KIA. So, and at the very end, they sort of backpedal from that, and he wakes up on the table, and he's with Section 31. So it did happen. Well, who cares where yeah. it happened, but it happened. Mm-hmm. Going from rampant speculation to totally reckless speculation, somehow Starfleet has an idea about it. They're going to have Tendi's uh, work in the Orion because they're lining, getting her positioned to take care of Boimler, too. Oh, okay. Wow. She's got to take out Bradward, too. Wow. That'd be crazy. I'd like to see if they're going to have another live action sort of crossover, which they said that they probably would. Um, I would love them to do like a trials and tribulations thing, but have them go back to DS nine somehow. That's my, okay. That's my fan wish. I think that'd be great. This. That, to, to, hmm. That, <laughs> that, that could be interesting. I, well, there and there are a few ways that you could do that. You could take you could take audio from, let, well, say for example, a DS Nine episode, or just and, integrate them into an episode like they did with the uh, you know Trouble with Triples. Yeah, I th- it it would make a Lower Decks episode a mostly live action episode with the animated characters in there, or 
they could do a fully animated episode and just recreate scenes from a different Trek series in animated form and use the original audio from that show for, for the dialogue. There, there, there are a bunch of different things they could do with that. Right. And I, I would like for them to try a few more fun things like that, like the, the crossover of Strange New Worlds or with a musical episode. Okay. John hopes Boimler 2 is only an episode and not a season-long arc. They should address it and wrap it up the way they handled the evil AI characters. And he would like to see them on Discovery in the future. In the future. In the future of the future. Uh, well, at, at the rate things are going, they might have season five of Lower Decks done before they finally put out this final season of Discovery. If they don't cancel it altogether for a tax write-off. Maybe. Uh, I, all I know is that this final season of Discovery is taking forever. Let, let's get um, Lower Decks crossed over into uh, Prodigy. There you go. I'm up for that. I'm up for that 100%. All right. Anything else? Last call. Last call for the season. Anybody? Anybody? Incoming transmission. Hi, folks. Sorry about missing the show tonight. Uh, I generally try not to miss uh, season finales, but I had to work tonight. So uh, just a couple of quick ideas. Uh, I like the idea that Tendi is on a mission. Uh, the thinking about the mechanics of that have had me kind of puzzling things out. But uh, I, I, So either she chose the barter by combat as a way to purposely lose, and that's why she chose Miglimu as her, as her champion, or the Admiralty saw this as an opportunity and pressed her into service. Either way, I think it's a very interesting idea, and it makes I've Got This make a lot more sense. Um, I found it odd that the last two episodes have been kind of focusing on getting the group back together after they got sort of separated during their, their after their promotions, and yet we spin Mariner off into almost the entire episode by herself, but it was still fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's interesting the way they killed Nick Locarno because the fact that he was killed in a Genesis explosion means that they could conceivably bring him back sometime and it wouldn't be beyond this show to do that. Let's see. What else did I like? I love the, the James Horner ish music like y'all did and the, the callbacks to wrath of Khan. One thing I'm really hoping we get to see that they've been doing a lot in this series in this season uh, is get to see a lot, uh, maybe see some more of Orion society. I'm looking forward to that. I, find, I think the Orions are, are a very interesting race, and I like what Lower Decks has been doing with them. And of course, more of the Mistress of this uh, Mistress of the Winter constellations is always good in my book. So yeah. Also, I would just like to point out I there were a probably a record number of f-bombs in this show that i was not in any way involved in so just just saying so anyway uh great finale love the show looking forward to believe it or not talking about the orville uh and more moon show and we'll see you later bye transfer complete Sean writes, I hope they never do any very short tricks ever again. You didn't like the booger one, John? <laughs> they had boogers in this episode. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Oh, yeah, there it is. 
I like how it, it takes all of us several seconds to run through the episode in our heads. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> he writes short treks, yes. Very short treks, no. Yeah. Computer and program. <laughs> I, I do miss the short treks, and I wish they would bring them back. All right. Mm. With that, everybody, I think that's going to take us to the end of our discussion of this fourth season of Star Trek Lower Decks. Um, but between now and the beginning of whatever the next Trek series is that will air at this point, I'm not sure what that's going to be. Probably Discovery, but I can't remember when they're hoping to roll that out. Um, I think there has been some discussion by Sean that uh, we might fill in some of the time with some discussion of the Orville on this feed. So Star Trek adjacent discussion as we wait for a new Trek to come around. Um, when we have a better idea of when, <laughs> when we might do something like that, uh, we will let you guys know. Uh, John suggests that perhaps we could review old Ready Room episodes. <laughs> he cracks himself up. I just love seeing him laughing. <laughs> For all the people on the pod out there who are listening, we can all see each other on this call. And I love it when John types a joke and he like laughs his ass off as he's typing, but we can't hear it. <laughs> it's like being on, on Captain Game Show, but not. <laughs> he's laughing so hard he's crying. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway. All right. So with that, I want to thank all you listeners out there for listening, for downloading, for hopefully subscribing to the show. Uh, watch this feed for more content coming your way when we have it. And in the meantime, don't forget to check out Cosmic Potato, Captain Game Show, For All Mankind, a moon, er, no, moon show, <laughs> For All Mankind podcast. <laughs> There we go. Flip it around. Do it right. Mucho. Um, and, and all the many other shows available here on the Infinite Potato Alliance Podcast Network. Uh, I want to thank all my panelists for joining us. Uh, I'm going to start it with John, uh, the silent John. Thank you very much for uh, contributing via, via chat. I uh, also want to thank my brother, Tom. Thanks for being on so many episodes this season. It was, it was, it was really, really cool to not be the only person with this last name. There's been a few. <laughs> I was going to say, even if Tom wasn't here, I don't think you would have been the only one. <laughs> uh, is there uh, any, anything you want to uh, plug or promote, uh, Tom, before we... Not at the moment. I hope there will be soon. All right. A Ideas nice little... be a Bruin. Nice little tease. Neek, thank you as well for being such an ever-present presence. That's not a phrase. Um, <laughs> where can people find you out there on the web? Well, you mentioned Moon Show, and that's uh, going to be coming back this week. And uh, you can go to superanemic.com to read my Star Trek recaps. All right. And finally, Christopher D. Philippus. Thank you for being here once again. It's always a, a delight and a pleasure. Where can people find you elsewhere online? I am a host of the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can find us at quantumleappodcast.com. We are deep into the second season of the Revival series, and in my opinion, the show has been better than ever. So I encourage all of you to watch the new Quantum, and um, if you so desire, give my podcast a listen, quantumleappodcast.com. 
could not agree more. Uh, as for myself, uh, in addition to hosting this very podcast, you can find me occasionally on Cosmic Potato, Captain Game Show, Moon Show. Uh, and if you don't want to keep listening to me on podcasts, you can check out my website, www.planetrisecreative.com, and check out some of the graphic artwork that I do for fun and profit. Um, with that, that is going to wrap up this season finale episode of that Star Trek podcast. Uh, thank you for being listeners, and we will catch you all sometime in the future. And also, don't forget to listen to Captain King Show. <laughs> That's John Show. Thank you for joining us for this episode of That Star Trek Podcast. You can contact us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can send us an email at thatstartrekpodcast at gmail.com. Help the show grow by giving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Be sure to join us again next time on That Star Trek Podcast. <laughs>